This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome to Conversations with Eliza, your unofficially official next podcast. Tonight, we're talking about file number seven. It was written by Brian Sabelson, and it was directed by Adam Arkin. Yes, that Adam Arkin, who will forever be Dr. Stanley Keyworth from The West Wing. I love that guy. I didn't even know that he directed, but he's directed a bunch of TV shows. Yeah, he was at ATX one year and uh, talking about actors turned directors. I guess you knew then that he had become a television director, but he's he's kind of a classic like character actor. All I feel like all of his roles are memorable, but he's never really a lead on the show. He just kind of pops up and like drops the mic, you know? I think that's the deal. Yeah. I think what he described was why he, why he enjoys directing is because he knows what he exactly what he wants from, from the actor. And I think he interprets that in his own work whenever he's in front of the camera, but behind the camera, he's done lots of like sons of anarchy and, um, lots of action directing and and other other kinds of stuff so yeah he's pretty prolific i i would guess he's more prolific behind the camera these days than than ever before Part of me, though, wishes he kind of, you know, popped up in this episode. I wouldn't mind seeing him, actually. He's got the he's got a similar energy to John Slattery. I would actually knowing that he was connected to the show now. I feel like I wish he had popped up in some kind of role. That's just well wishing. But maybe, there's three episodes left. So who knows? Maybe he does. <laughs> maybe like, it was uh, direct one, one for you, one for me kind of thing. You have the direct one, but then you get to be in an episode. You ever notice when Peter Weller directs a, a TV episode, he invariably ends up in it <laughs> <laughs> Peter Weller maybe has the largest head of any human being I've ever seen. <laughs> he's 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 so distinctive. It's like when Jaws from like James Bond would pop up in something, you know, like he just has the look about him. What was his name? Richard something. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, he just you know like uh, I I feel like he popped up in like an episode of like Fantasy Island or like Love Boat one time. I, I was like, oh my god, it's Jaws. Yeah. That was his milieu, as I believe you might call it, that that time frame. He was also in Happy Gilmore, right? Yes. Yes, he was. Which I was just watching, actually, <laughs> recently. Uh, anyway, so we're talking about episode seven tonight, guys. And we were right that we need to get the band back together. And we got that tonight. We had everyone showing up at the safe house or the bed and breakfast, as Paul refers to it. But then quickly, everyone kind of goes their own ways again, right? Because work has to be done. Let's start with Shay, because character development wise, I think she had the really interesting arc tonight. I mean, Girlfriend is just coming coming apart at the seams. Caroline, were you surprised that she took it so far with Ted in the Russian roulette scene? I was absolutely surprised. I mean, I understand that she shot her dad and that all seemed very horrific at the time, but it felt very justified. With Ted, it felt like I know that she blames him, of course, for the kidnapping of Ethan and her father even getting out of prison and all of those things. I don't know why I didn't think she would take it so far. You know, I think that it really clinched it for me when she like swung around and shot two more times at her own teammates. I think that she was very lucky that that bullet didn't make its way around. Again, this show always takes it like a half a step further than I think it's going to. It always kind of knocks me back where I'm like, wait a minute, did they, did a bullet actually just come out? Is, he, is she pointing it at him? It's always shocking. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, well, when Mike described tonight's um, performance as an arc, I, th- I thought that's a pretty 
jagged freaking arc because uh, <laughs> the part where she loses it with Ted, that seems like the kind of game you'd play where you knew that the gun wasn't going to fire, but you scared the shit out of him. But I don't think she knew. I don't think she cared right then. She very much is off, I guess, her normal pattern. Like like the whole deal with her family, I think, is is probably impacted her more than she's thinking it would have. Like the whole tie and Ethan being out of the picture. Almost like something has snapped in her now, a combination of of coming face to face with her father, the danger her family was put in because of that killing her father, that whole sequence of events. And then and then Ty not taking her side, not having her back and, and in fact, taking Ethan away from her. That whole sequence, boom, boom, boom of events, I think, has, has kind of broken her. And I think she's someone who's used to being in control. And she is very much out of control and knows it. I mean, I think that's when she snaps to Paul in the car that she lost it. I think that's what she's talking about. I think she's talking about that she lost control. You know, for someone who runs the cyber crime team for the FBI, they don't let you have off days. They don't let you have Russian roulette days. Just like Paul's mind is kind of degrading, I feel like her emotional stability is also kind of fraying and and falling apart. So it's going to be interesting to see as the series goes on for these final three episodes, does she get it back or does she kind of, you know, just stopgap? Is she just going to put her finger in the dike to try and stop it from falling apart further? Or does she keep, you know, sliding back down? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think it is a slippery slope. Like, I think once you kill a man, especially your father, you know, then when you walk up and you're like, a guy's in the trunk, cool shotgun (laughs) you're just like up in the car like you're totally fine with it i and i wonder if it's like that in real life or what it seems like we've seen that in movies where it's like you know people start doing something and something goes like radically wrong and then it just seems like well whatever layer it on whatever i think that's a great point though i mean she had kind of dead eyes right i mean when she 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 takes in the information that he's that ted lebonk's been tased and stuffed in a trunk and then just gets in the passenger seat she doesn't even try to drive why does everyone keep letting paul lebonk drive the guy the guy's is losing his mind literally but she's she's just kind of dead-eyed like all right well we're not going to do it here so let's go to our secret bunker and you know maybe shoot your brother to get information paul were you surprised that ted hung in there as long as he did i mean i I look at him as kind of like a cowardly lion so i was a little surprised that he didn't break faster he has reinvented himself a little bit since next came into his life with a certain amount of swagger but I would have thought after that first pull that he would have been like, all right, all right, all right. You know, this is <laughs> this has gone far enough. I'll tell whatever you want to know. But the fact that it lasted two pulls was pretty impressive. I think the further thing that maybe we could talk about that confused me just a, a smidge, and maybe, maybe it's just as simple as there were too many people around, but... After they de-handcuff him, is that the right word? He still hangs around, you know, like he doesn't be like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. He he still like sets up shop in the corner of the (laughs) He's like, leave me alone, I'm over here. Yeah, this is my pouting corner now. You guys shot a gun at me and handcuffed me and put me in a trunk. Mm. I mean, my cookies in this corner. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they weren't a part of it. It's not like he was a part of the team to begin with and then somehow got ostracized. And now he was just like, fine, you guys, I'll come back in. I mean, he's always been outside this team. It it really doesn't make sense that. Why isn't he afraid someone's just not going to like garrot him from behind the couch? Because he he sticks around long enough to actually then kind of buy in and start to contribute. But they needed him to not go, you know, kind of narratively. But at the same time, character wise, it would have made sense for him to try to go. 
I would have thought. But yes, I, I agree with you. But I think there was an implicit understanding of um, de-handcuffing you uh, from this tiny room of maybe death. But don't try and leave again because, you know, she still has her bullets and her gun and she's still pouting in a corner there. And she, you know, still has a crazed look about her. So she's you, at like you, the timeout table. Yeah, she she also was in a timeout table. I mean, everyone had kind of gone to their corners. But you have, you know, you have CM there who, you know, is going to do what he has to do. For, you know, if Shay tells him to. Gina, too, though. Uh, Come on now. She's right. a boss. Right, right. Well, well, she had gone at that point. But yeah, so there are plenty of people that could have sniped him pretty quickly. And big dick energy notwithstanding, I think he understood that he had increased mobility, but not like leave the premises mobility. It was impressive when Shay pulls off not one, but two guns. It makes you wonder, like, is there like a, a third ankle gun <laughs> or, or like a, she had, there's like the small of the back gun, the holster gun, you know, never can tell what's underneath that big coat she wears. You know, I, I love that scene in a car. It was just another example of, I think one of the best relationships in the show has been consistently Shay and Paul, just, just their banter when, when he won't give up the bullets. So she just pulls out her regular service revolver, which has a full clip in it. And just his reaction of, well, why do you need the other gun? And she's like, for, you know, just in case kind of thing. And then, then he's mad that he gets the shitty gun kind of thing. <laughs> I just love their back and forth, even with something so serious as, you know, her losing her mind and maybe shooting his brother. It was still pretty funny. I love the whole like brunch will be served in like half an hour. <laughs> Call it at the bed and breakfast. That was so funny. Her dad's gun, although just a revolver, that looked like a pretty gigantic bore on the on the on the barrels. I don't know that that's a very silly gun. You shouldn't take that gun very lightly. Yeah, if you can't do what you need to do with six bullets and that gun, then you probably you probably should be doing something else with your time. I bet you've been shot already. If yeah. you if you haven't made the shot. Uh, well, let's speak of guns, because I was a little shocked that we I mean, this is another show like Caroline said a little while ago. It always goes a bit further than you think it's going to go. And I think usually in a good way, I was shocked that the reporter got killed or got shot so boldly, you know, when when the the bullet like, you know, pierces his chest with that sound. I jump back. But the guy looks like he's using a machine gun. I mean, he's got a strap. He's running with it. But he's using a machine gun like on a single shot setting. I've never seen such a thing. Usually that's like a sniper rifle with a scope and like a in some kind of you know prone position. I thought that was a weird choice of weapon for kind of thing he was going to do. And then when he stops to shoot a Ben, he also shoots like single shot. Not that I'm a master hunter or any kind of X-Forces, <laughs> but I've played enough video games to know like there's a there's a, you know, a bullet and a gun for a situation. And it seemed like he was using the wrong the wrong setup possible lame explanation would be that on short notice you could get a military looking gun but since automatic weapons are not available legally but military looking guns that fire semi-automatic are you could get that and it would have some of that same power and all that but and look very military but only be able to go bang 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 instead of ratatatatata were you guys surprised at this whole representative slash reporter storyline? First of all, you guys, I assumed that you would die if the elevator just fell to the bottom of the shaft. I assumed that was instant death. I was so surprised that she just had a little bobo arm. He just had a little cut over his eyebrow. That's all that would happen to you? Depends on the distance. But yeah, I think you should, depending, I mean, if it's far enough up, you should be like strawberry jam at the, at the end of that, right? That's what I thought. I mean, every other movie has shown that to me. Whenever I get into an elevator, I, I live on the fifth floor of an apartment building. So I'm in an elevator, you know, every day, a couple of times. I'm always kind of ready to jump at just the right moment, you know, <laughs> should, should the emergency brakes give sure. way and we plummet. 
wily so, coyote so maybe they, style. Maybe they've also had the same practice. I mean, she's, you know, in her office building. Maybe she's just used to, sure, you know, doing sure. jumping techniques. I don't know. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I, know. I thought it was a little funny. I also thought it was funny that Gina and Ben looking like straight hobos because neither have been home. They're on the law. He can't even fix his, take the time to fix his tie. No one asked them for ID. They show up at the House of Representatives office, BD's office, and they're just like, yeah, we're the FBI. It is customary to, for them to show a badge or, uh, you know, ID with the big FBI letters on it. That That's usually how that scene goes. Well, did you guys see that twist coming with the reporter being the actual target of next? A little. Do tell. The part where she s- sees the cyber whatever notes that he's taking. And yeah, that that was the tip. Yeah, for me, it was when he mentions the server farm. Uh, it, she mentions the server farm in her notes. And then it was just, oh, server farms. It's not something that you're otherwise talking about. So I thought it was likely he was probably the target as much as she was. Wait, well, y- y'all don't talk about server farms? Not usually. Oh, shit. I mean, my server farms are always misconfigured. That's the oh, problem. Really? Is my, my server farms are never configured for the kind of architecture that I need. I just started that app that's like Server Farmville, and it's like a whole thing that I've been like working on. So I just assumed everyone was doing it. That's no. That's going to be the new Animal Crossing sequel. Is <laughs> Animal Crossing's new Server Farm Horizon? Stop sending me invites to your server. <laughs> Sorry, <farm. laughs> I thought you'd want your own server. I got a gift of a new power station, so I was pretty amped about it. Those are hard to come by. That's like limited edition. Paul, you are a big computer guy. Were you all jazzed with the computer talk? Because this show got into it a bit with the architecture. And so so last week, Serena started asking questions about the, the architecture in Bill's eyes. Uh, server farm was wrong. It came up again this week and actually ended up being a plot point that Paul even says to Ted, you had to have seen that this was wrong. Were you just so blinded by it? But then you have this AI server farm architecture that our government, that the DOD has. Do you get amped when people are talking about that kind of thing? Does does that hold true? Does it sound realistic to you? I mean, I'm aware of kind of experimental and, and that kind of stuff, alternative kinds of architecture for processors that aren't available for like retail for like you and me. But beyond that, I don't know much about it. To an extent, I write it off as like, you know, quantum hard drives or, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of what, what do they say on Rick and Morty? Like you can't put just a sci-fi word in front of uh, a normal word and have it mean something. And he, then he says, I need to get out and change the cyber carburetor or <laughs> something like that. So it's a little bit like that. I like that CM's like, I've never seen this kind of architecture before. It, it, it was just funny to me that they would all pick it up. But I guess they're all computer geeks. So I kind of buy it because I don't know any better. But it also seems like mystical and magical whenever people start talking about those kinds of things. I think that's okay. But I think that that was also our tip that the whole Chinese adventure was a red herring. That it was just to draw out the, the feds. When the FBI showed up at the airport... Something in the back of my mind heard Hans Gruber say, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) Die Hard being a Christmas movie, you know, I subscribe to Christmas doesn't begin until Hans Gruber is falling off a Nakatomi Tower. You know, that's that's a perfect uh, segue into the season. And given that they were stooges, I think it fits. Caroline, what did you think about the whole 
conversation with the Chinese, the Chinese guy representative talking to Serena about the glass ceiling and the women in the field. It, it was so kind of out of the field and it had no payoff then. It was so weird to me. What was your take on it? It felt like one of those weird after school special messages that was just plunked in like, you know what, we should really touch on the idea that there should be more women in coding and that people should be more accepting of women in programming. Let's just like put some lines in on that. And when they're like, I'm very understanding of how women have a problem with this. And she's like, I appreciate it. It's like, what is happening right now? Why would he be showing this like bizarro interest in her career ladder? Yeah. Almost like he was recruiting her maybe. Like, I don't know. Like you're, you, there's openings. No, there was like compassion. It was like, I'm right. sorry you're a woman in this very difficult field for women. Right. But if he was, if, if he had said something like, uh, you know, come to the PLA cyber terrorism unit. We've got internships for women to advance. You know, <laughs> that's like it was like setting it up for. Uh, Paul, if you were moving the most uh, promising AI technology in the world, like revolutionary AI technology, are you sending more than Serena and one goon? Especially when there's like nine Chinese commandos coming out of the vans. It seemed like they were a little underpowered for the handoff. Yeah, I think you're I think you're honest something. I mean, that was a kind of a tough looking goon, but it was just one goon. I mean, he was bald, so there was that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the baldness definitely That's um, tough. That's like two men in one. Exactly. You, well, bald but, and his neck had been subsumed by his shoulders. Well, that's yeah. testosterone. That means he has extra testosterone. Yeah, I mean, his lats were on point. He had yes. to move his waist to, to look around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun fact about the Chinese representative. That was James Kyson, who you might remember as Ando from Heroes in which he played a Japanese person. In this, he plays a Chinese person. And in real life, he is neither. He is a Korean person. A complete tangent here. Garrett Wong, who played Ensign Harry Kim on Voyager for all seven seasons of Star Trek Voyager, he's doing a podcast right now with uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, who played Tom Paris on that show. They're a great podcast, a lot of fun if you were a fan of the show called Delta Flyers. In one of the early episodes of their podcast, Garrett is talking about how Kim is a Korean name and everyone yes. knows it is a Korean name. <laughs> and is. so like late in the first season, something came up where he was talking about a Chinese proverb, like in the script. He goes to the writers and the producers and they're like, it's weird that Harry Kim would be talking about a Chinese proverb. And they're like, why? Why weird? He's like, well, he's Korean. He's like, no, no, Harry's Chinese. <laughs> and Garrett's like, no, no, Kim is not a Chinese name. They're like, meh, <laughs> no one really cares. <laughs> and they just kind of left it and they never changed it. And that that remained the canon. But he was just like, you could see like, if you could picture like a dog turning its head to the side when it hears like a whistle, kind of like, I, what? <laughs> and he was, he was, he was too young and too green and it was too early 90s to be offended or to do something about it. But he, clearly it bothered him for 25 years. It was pretty funny. A little reason I know anything about James Kyson is that uh, he cropped up one day as a follower on our Daily Review Twitter. And so I, I was like, hey, look at that. I know who that is. And then, oh, it's, it's just it's just typical American TV, right? Where, where we need an Asian. There's an Asian. What kind of Asian is he? Does it matter? I don't care. And that's that's what <laughs> that's the poor thing with we got this week. Yeah, I mean, all things being aside, it's funny you mention that because there was a real big Yakuza as portrayed on TV vibe when those guys are pouring out of the van. <laughs> right. And I mean, that's kind of the the flavor, you know, of the decade is if you have Asian hoodlums 
they tend to be Japanese Yakuza, not so much Chinese cyber warfare. But this show was throwing a lot of shade on China. Yeah. What, what do you think about Caroline? Uh, the because that's a real world issue. How do you think that plays, and why they're they're taking such real pot shots at the country? Well, I mean, this is another like you know maybe this would have played out better you know a year ago than it is now. But I think that there is such a real world fear and extra layer of suspicion with China right now between you know everything with with coronavirus and all that stuff. I think that there's a lot of people who are sitting around thinking the Chinese are out to get us even more than ever before. Certainly, there's always been that you know they're communist, we're not, and you know they want to take over the world kind of thing, but it's just too palpable right now. This is one more reason why I think audiences are, I just, I don't know that they're ready for this show. And and obviously the cancellation says, no, they are not. Yeah. I mean, I think this is another example of the show is almost maybe too timely for its own good or, or too, too realistic for its own good, which I think it plays into a lot of the strengths of the show, why it's engaging to watch, uh, at least to me, but also maybe a little too much to people who are having trouble getting out of bed. <laughs> in 2020 so it's funny if they would have just gone with the premise that the show is actually five minutes from now it's not now it's five minutes from now then it, it could have had it at just that that tiny twist on the flavor that might have made it or palatable but having it be right now i think you guys are right that people are like uh it hurts. <laughs> it's just too you uncomfortable, know? right? I mean, and plus, I, we all grew up at a time when we're completely comfortable with us blaming the Russians. Let's just blame the Russians, right? They're out to get us. We we don't like what they're up to. We're fine with that. But there's such a, just this extra layer of nervousness right now about China that, and then they're showing us, you know, in the previous episode, having the bio-warfare. I mean, it's, it's just too real. It's just all too real. And you're right. The five-minute ahead within the sci-fi world allows everyone to be more comfortable because you just feel like, okay, this is okay because we can still change things. You know, it, this doesn't have to be our future. We could do something different because it's not right now. But when you feel like, no, this is probably happening down the street as I am sitting here watching the show, then that's a whole another layer of fear that people can't get out of bed. I don't know that they can turn on the TV for this. I think, though, when we talked to Manny at the beginning of the season, I think we, we talked about this and how placing it in the now was intentional because he wanted it to be, this is my word, not his, but more anxiety inducing, that it would hit more viscerally because it was happening now. Now, I think that actually is an interesting thing that holds true and and is it doesn't bother me. I, I am into the show because of the now. Like I like the idea, but as broad appeal goes, this time in 2019, would have been probably more palatable than this time in 2020 when people have all of these other real world issues. You know, it's, you know, you talk about uh, pandemic viruses, the Chinese cyber hacking, that's, that all really came home to roost in, in everyone's lives in a real way this year versus just I'm watching it on TV where it's an interesting concept of, oh, have you seen that TV show where they're talking about the potentials of, you know, super intelligent AI creating bioterrorism weapons? You know, Nana has the bioterrorism pandemic weapon in her bloodstream, you know, so it's it's a little, a little over the edge, maybe. Paul, what's your take on the Ben twist at the end? This is the best example so far that we've gotten that next is 
um, playing an advanced form of chess that that we are still at the checkers stage on. The best that they could guess was that it wanted to go to off, you know, continent to get out from underneath the thumb of American authority. Okay, that was a decent guess. And then they thought, oh, it actually wanted to capture by China. Oh, <laughs> but then something else happened. And the whole thing, as it turns out, is probably that it's all related to Ben, the guy that we that we didn't really know what to suspect out of. But if I've read this correctly, it's that it knew that Ben was the sort of personality that would run to his dad to figure out what to do. And his dad would be like, you know what? I'm this admiral in the Navy and I know exactly what to do. Just do what I say and everything will be okay. That's how it wound up where it, where it wanted to be, was putting all these other dominoes in place. You know, we should have seen it coming, though, because we have spoken extensively about the father, sons, parent, kids, all the relationships within families that have been going on. So, I mean, it was sitting there right in front of us that somebody's going to want to make their daddy proud here, right? (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. We just didn't know which daddy to choose. (laughs) We didn't know who daddy's still alive (laughs) and who we hadn't met yet. (laughs) I think this is a record for people talking about this show and using the word daddy. <laughs> ben but was it's so true, right? I oh, mean, no, there are lots of daddy this. issues on it for sure. Well, and not only that, but decisions made within families that maybe you wouldn't, if you weren't family, you know, does Paul LeBlanc de handcuff, as you guys said, anyone else, unless it's his brother, do all these other things play out the way they do, unless you're a family member. There's just so many parts to this that wraps in that extra layer of, yeah, you're just doing this because you're you're worried about these these people in a completely different way. Ben had a lot to reveal in this episode. Like he shot a guy. We saw the reveal with his dad. But normally when Ben is doing his thing, he has this very nerdy affect, right? Where he's... I don't know if we should be doing this, Sam, you know, that sort of thing. And then he gets out <laughs> with his weapon and he's going to shoot the guy. It's like, freeze, motherfucker! And it's like <laughs> a totally different guy, you know? <laughs> Do you think that all your training just like kicks in the second that, you know, uh, a squib explodes in the actor's chest next to you? Like, I mean, that has to be a whole situation where as soon as that reporter's blood starts pouring out of his chest and you find your get the fuck out of the car motherfucker voice like pretty quick right i mean it, it just doesn't come out in the office when you're you know making your snacks in the break room yeah you were purposely wanting to not be in the line of fire if that's the the department you chose well he was like hey stop you're working on the computers at hogan's alley and not necessarily walking through it and you know testing your firing skills I want to give a lot of credit to Aaron Moten, who plays Ben, because there's been a part of him, I think since day one, because we've talked about it on this podcast, every time there's been a Ben scene this season, we've talked about how he's not trustworthy, or we are wary of his loyalty to the team and to the cause. The The obvious frame was that he was going to betray Shay and CM and Gina and Paul, uh, and, you know, and, and their mission to someone in the higher up chain on the FBI. So I was pleasantly surprised by this twist and this reveal of him tonight, but I also feel like they did a great job of placing breadcrumbs that he had been keeping some, there was some something duplicitous about him this entire time. And we finally got to see now in episode seven, what that was. But the fact that it didn't come out of nowhere, this, this felt right to me. Like, okay, this is what he's been hiding because I feel like he's had this, 
duality, this one foot in, one foot out. You know, whereas Sam and Gina are whatever, boss, let's go, boss. Come on, boss. He's kind of like, but we're going to get in trouble and we're going to be rogues. And, you know, so he was always kind of like a little less committed to the cause than everyone else. And now I feel like maybe we've got an answer why. So I like that. I, I think that's a great setup for the show. I didn't know that the NSA was a DOD arm, but now I do. I think the reference is that they're all part of the under the director of national intelligence. I think they're one of the 17. I think they're each one of the 17 agencies underneath the large umbrella of the American intelligence apparatus. I don't know that the NSA is actually part of the DOD. Oh. I did not. I did not have not fact fact checked that yet. But if that's true, that is news to me. I've never ever heard that before. But I think they're just post 9-11, post Patriot Act. I think they're just under the umbrella of the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence. Well, either way, it does his placement, Ben's placement in the FBI, which I thought was a DOJ department, Justice. If you're following along, kids, it it kind of makes me wonder is. Is he calling his dad as like, uh, my dad's a big shot kind of deal? Or is he a, actually a formal mole on behalf of like, I don't know, naval intelligence or something in the FBI acting in under some behind the scenes capacity, but officially for his dad? I definitely think that the, that the concept of being a formal mole is a possibility because he feels like, you know, even though... How you were just describing, Mike, like we were all feeling very wary of him. Eventually, he had to kind of shit or get off the pot. Like there was a level of commitment to the cause he had to do in order to stay in Shay's good graces because she had gone so far off the field. Like he was still the one who was still wearing a tie and had a badge with him. Everyone else was kind of like, Fuck it, where are we? you know, Ben was like the last like kind of connecting tissue to the FBI office. And even now that's kind of gone by the wayside. That sounds like me and Caroline in college and high school. I'm Ben. She's Shay. I say, but we're going to get in trouble. And she says, we're already in trouble. <laughs> I, I need to retract my statement, by the way. The NSA is a part of the Department of Defense. Uh, I did a little uh, fact checking while we were talking here. So oh, I okay. take all of that back. It's obviously it, it, They do report to the, the director of national intelligence, but the NSA is, in fact, an intelligence arm of the Department of Defense. See, now that makes it kind of interesting that that his dad would want that mole in a doj department because he's already got maybe some oversight over a dod department like the nsa so he'd want you know sort of like everything basically he's got fingers in everything huh all those pies yes okay guys so what do we want to see in the remaining three episodes of next how do we want this show to conclude where do we think we're going this is like the most softball prediction in the history of techno thrillers okay ready Ready. All all of that like Faraday cage and air gapping stuff that they that they're doing to prevent next from getting out. Guess what? It's not going to matter. <laughs> it's still going to get out. Yeah. I mean, Paul said it. I mean, he said it plainly. It always gets out. You know, he said it tonight again. Skynet is going to get out of that box or whatever it's called. So do we agree? I think we said maybe in like episode one or two, I even want, I, I think it was that far back where, you know, they pull the plug and everybody thinks it's, it's good and everyone kind of sighs and goes back to their world. And then the last shot of this show has got to be the lights turning back on. Right. The old reboot. 
like your router coming back on after you like unplug it, plug it back in on your cable router. Like one light starts blinking. Doop, 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 right. Doop, doop. That device that somehow when you unplug it, the light stays on. You're like, uh, <laughs> you, <get the> willies. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and this is certainly not a new concept, but you know, next is the, maybe the latest doing it, the, the hubris of man, the hubris of government that it thinks it can keep this kind of thing in a box, the superiority idea that, humans are the apex of the world and that kind of like the olympians like throw overthrowing the titans right like the the idea that because we made it we can control it in perpetuity i don't know i kind of like the idea of man being mankind being kind of shown up for being an egotistical asshole and it definitely feels like we're we're being set up right Paul initially, now Ted, now the government, right? Ben's dad. They all think that they can keep this thing in a box. And Paul keeps yelling, we cannot keep it in a box. If you build it, it will be used, right? And that goes all the way back to the opening scene of the show where he's talking about how the the nuclear bomb had to get used because we built the nuclear bomb, essentially. If you build the thing, it's going to get used. It's going to get out. It's going to wreak havoc for which it was designed. And next seems to be on that same kind of trajectory. I want to see how the conversation shifts now, now that the U.S. government is going to be involved and it's chasing to next and next is chasing to it. I can almost start to see where Shay gets hauled in that episode two, you know, raving like Sarah Connor from, you know, Terminator 2, the opening of it, where she's screaming about the machines and Skynet and everyone thinks she's nuts. Like that whole vibe starts to make a lot more sense now when the U.S. government is going to be actively trying to protect and support next and this and th- those are two powerful forces put together the might of the u.s military together with this superhuman computer that's a formidable opponent that i don't know that shay and her band of married men and women can stand against that's a super good like you're making me worry about is there a path for shay and her family to come out in episode 10 intact and like okay i mean we all know that the machine is going to turn back on we know the machine's going to get out what about our human characters here like who's going to make it out of this we we all agree that paul's going to probably die right i mean nature's going to take its course if not next so no but i thought that there was like <laughs> we, we had made a prediction early on that it was like he's probably going to take the bullet for somebody right, right. his daughter probably or abby or shay or right. something right i don't know I don't know. I mean, I think, alive? I think I think someone in that control room that we saw of of Ted, Paul, you know, uh, Gina, CM, Shay, uh, someone in that group, I, I don't think survives. But I think it's Ted. Now, now that Ted is seeing the is seeing that he was just being used, right? You can almost you can almost hear the impotence creeping into his big dick energy as he learned <laughs> that not only did. Next never want him. It didn't even want him for Bill's eye. It wanted him for Bill's eye for the U.S. government. You know, he, he's been left twice now at the altar by Next. You know, so you can see where this is going to start a redemption arc for him that maybe he sacrifices himself to redeem his character or whatever. I mean, his poor wife is still sitting at home not understanding. You know, she's in the afterglow <laughs> of the lovemaking. She has no idea what's going on. A big boner killer. That's what. That's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm worried. I don't know how Shay gets back to Ty and Ethan and is an intact person with all of this stuff. I mean, I don't know how she, I see Paul passing away and somehow she almost like takes his spot as like the paranoid AI 
expert in the world who's going around trying to warn people. You know, like that feels like more natural, actually. I'm not convinced that she gets back to tie anything. I think if there's a casualty for her, I think it's that emotional casualty. I, I see her making it out of the show alive physically, but I'm not convinced that she gets her family back. That that may be the price she has to pay to do yeah. to carry on Paul's work. The hero has to pay a price, and really, her career isn't really the price. I I don't think. And just tangentially, she is wearing the blue cable net sweater under the uh, the jacket. Uh oh. So it's on the way, huh? Oh, we're I don't think I she mean, packed the, I mean, for the her crazy eyes are setting in. Like it's all it's all coming together now. You see the pieces falling in place. Well, I think it's kind of fascinating. If 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 Paul does go at by the end of the show and she takes the spot, there's something that's very like nature versus the machine that's like we were replaced as well. Like like his spot was taken by the next person who took up the mantle who's gonna continue the fight. That feels kind of right. Right. And you can see either of Gina or CM filling the new Shay role, right? If mm-hmm. Shay becomes a new Paul, one of those disciples, you know, steps into her role as like the law enforcement support arm, I guess, maybe. Ben. Or, or Ben, right? Because he's maybe the only one who will still have a badge at the end of all this. <laughs> Probably true. Yeah. Well, CM, I don't think has a badge. I think he's what, you know, like an analyst, or whatever the right word is, but I don't think you get an ankle monitor and a badge. That's true. It's true. But yeah, he does have an ankle uh, monitor, though, but, but I think they've removed it at this point, though. Well, he's got a gut wound, right? I mean, he's not doing great. I mean, he's he's walking around basically holding his guts in with his right hand. Yeah, in all his, these teams. his spot on the tumbling team has been taken. <laughs> well, you guys, I'm super looking forward to episode eight. I want to find out what happens to all our characters and most importantly, what happens with AI in the world. What new thing are they going to throw at us to make us have nightmares in the next Will episode? Will Ted's BDE remain? <laughs> <laughs> someone's got to get the big dick energy so i think it's next day right i mean next you forget moving up to the nicer apartment next is now moved up to like the governor's mansion or something you know with the u.s server farm i think next is the only one living its best life right now <laughs> very true well this is caroline <laughs> this is paul and this is mike thank you for listening to conversations with eliza the unofficially official next podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and subscribe to conversations with eliza on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and we don't want to have to send next after you thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.